Good morning, Kavanaugh. How's everybody out there? You good? Man, I'm glad that you're here today. Praise the Lord. Uh, it's a good day to be in God's house, and uh, I'm glad that you're here. Got a question for you. When was the last time, okay, when was the last time you obeyed the Word of God or a prompting of the Holy Spirit and you stepped out on faith and did something that you had no idea what the outcome would be. When was the last time you did something like that? Maybe, maybe it was when you responded to a prompting of the Holy Spirit to take a week's worth of vacation and go on a missions trip. Maybe, just maybe it was uh, the last time we had a missionary in our service and they shared their story with you. And God's Holy Spirit prompted you to give something in the offering for that missionary and you knew in your mind, you were calculating in your checkbook, if I give the amount that God is telling me to give, it sure is going to make things tight at home. But you stepped out on faith and did it anyway. Maybe it was when the Holy Spirit of God prompted you and said, you know what, you need to volunteer for We Worship, <laughs> or Kids Church, or maybe it was the Holy Spirit prompting you to give up a, a day or tonight and to go to the Hope Campus and feed homeless people, or give of your Monday and come here as we distribute food to those who need it. You see, let me tell you, this is what the people of God do. This is how we roll. We live by faith. In fact, the Bible says that apart from living by faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, let me turn that around. If you are not living by faith and stepping out on faith and obeying the Word of God or the prompting of the Holy Spirit when He tells you to do something, then you're not pleasing God. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. So people whose chief aim in life is to please God, is all, they're always stepping out on faith, man. And that includes our friend, the prophet Jeremiah. So guess what? We're back in Jeremiah today. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 32. You remember in our study of Jeremiah, his message from God to his people was not a very popular message at all. The people had turned their backs to God. Literally, God's people had turned their backs to God and they had turned their faces to worthless idols and they were worshiping false gods. As a result, God disciplines his people. He does this by allowing the Babylonians to come over and conquer Jerusalem and to carry away God's people into Babylonian captivity. And here is Jeremiah's message in a nutshell. He is telling the people, this is from God. God is doing this to discipline us from our disobedience. So don't resist the Babylonians. When they come and take us into captivity, you submit to them as if you're submitting to the Lord's discipline. Now, the king at that point was a man by the name of Zedekiah. And he becomes furious at Jeremiah's preaching. So he puts Jeremiah in jail. And in jail, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah about a step of faith that he wants Jeremiah to take. That's where we're going to pick up, Jeremiah chapter 32. I'll start reading in verse number 6. Here's what Jeremiah said. The word of the Lord came to me. 
Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field and Anathoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field and Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field and Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. So here's the scenario. I want you to see the picture that God is drawing for us in Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah is locked up in prison, and one day he gets this unusual visit from a distant, well, not a distant cousin, but maybe he hadn't seen him in a while, and has this strange offer for Jeremiah. His cousin, Hanamel, comes to him and says, Jeremiah, I've got the deal of the century for you. I am going to let you buy the family farm. I need to get rid of it, and since you are next of kin, you are the one privileged enough to buy it. It would be great if it stayed in the family. And guess what? It is located in our hometown of Anathoth. Now, there's just one problem with this real estate deal, and that is where Anathoth is. Now, the Babylonians are at the gate of the city of Jerusalem, about to attack the city, destroy it, and haul all the people off into captivity. Anathoth is on the other side of enemy lines. It is already occupied by these Babylonians. It's already been captured by the enemy. It would be like a, a, a cousin coming to your house and sitting down with you and saying, man, I've got, I've got a great deal for you. There is a family condo that's been owned for generations in our family, and I would like to sell it to you. Uh, I need the money desperately. I'm going to give you the good, a good deal on it. Uh, it's in North Korea. I mean, just, just process that and think about that. That is the deal that Hanamel is giving to Jeremiah, to buy a farm in a town that is in enemy territory. It is very likely that Jeremiah is never going to see this land. It is probable that he'll never plant a seed in the soil of the family farm. Jeremiah only thinks about it for a half a second, and then he says, deal, I'll take it. And on the surface, this looks like a very foolish move on Jeremiah's part. It is totally illogical. Doesn't make a bit of sense. Why in the world would Jeremiah do such a ridiculous thing? Well, the answer is, God is up to something. God's got a big plan, and this is just one piece of that plan. Let me read on verse number 13. In their presence, Jeremiah said, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and the unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so that they will last for a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought 
in this land. So here is what God is having Jeremiah to do. Jeremiah is painting a picture for all the Israelites to see. Okay, again, the situation, Babylonians, they are at the city gates. They are about to invade the city, destroy Jerusalem, and carry all these people into captivity. They will leave behind their homes, their vineyards, and their lands. They are going to be carried off into enemy captivity. But here is the picture God is drawing for them through this illustration of what Jeremiah is doing. He is saying to these people... Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Yes, God is disciplining you. And yes, you're going to be taken into captivity. And yes, you're going to lose your homes, your lands, and your vineyards. But it's only for a time. Why? Because God loves you. And God is not abandoning you. He's just disciplining you. And after 70 years, God is going to allow you to come back into this land. And guess what? You're going to live in these houses you've abandoned. You're going to plant in these vineyards. You're going to hold the deed to these lands. So don't give up hope. God has not forgotten you. Your future is in his hands. And so Jeremiah, by purchasing this piece of land, this family farm is proving to the people of God that God has not abandoned them. God loves them. God still has a plan for their life. God asked Jeremiah to obey him and to step out on faith. And church, Christian, person here today, God is going to ask you to do the very same thing. To step out on faith and to obey him. We learn from Jeremiah what this life of faith is all about. Number one, it starts with God's written revelation. All this begins in verse number 6 of chapter 32 when Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. God told Jeremiah that his cousin was going to come to him with a deal to buy the family farm. And you know what? It happened exactly like God said it would. Sure enough, here came his cousin... He offered the deal to Jeremiah. It was done just as God said. And when it was all said and done, in verse number 8, Jeremiah said, I knew that this was the will of God. In fact, he told his secretary, Baruch, in verses 14 and 15, that the Lord had told him to do all of this. And so here's what I want you to see. It all begins. This life of faith all begins with God's revelation of himself to us. That's where the life of faith begins. When we believe God's revelation of who he is. And church, let me tell you, the main way that we hear from God on a daily basis is through his written word. Now, I know God speak to us, speaks to us in a variety of ways. He can use other people. He can use circumstances. He can use sickness. He can can use any way he so chooses. He can use nature to speak to us. But the main way he speaks to us is through his written word. That's why I'm constantly reminding you of the need for you to read God's word and to study God's word and to hear God's word, to memorize God's word, and to meditate on God's word. Why? That's the way he communicates to us. 
And I, I, don't, don't, I don't mean to discipline you this morning or to sound harsh to you, but can I just tell you, if the only word of God you're getting on a weekly basis is when you come in here on Sunday morning and hear me preach, you're missing out, friend. You're missing out. You, you are spiritually malnourished if this is the only word of God you're getting. Okay, This should just be the, the cherry on the cream on the top. And I know no one would call my sermons cherry on the top. But you know, you know what I'm saying to you. We need to be reading God's Word every day, digging in the Word of God. Why? Because that's how God communicates to us. And that's how God makes His will known to us. And when we encounter God in His Word, our response must be to trust and to obey. Listen to this. Faith isn't faith. Until it moves you to act. Faith isn't faith until you step out and do what God is telling you to do. In fact, James put it this way in James chapter 2 verse 17. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's nothing. Faith is choosing to live in the assurance that God's Word is true, that I believe God's Word, and I'm going to obey God's Word, regardless of circumstances, regardless of emotions, or regardless of cultural trends. That's what faith is. Faith is believing God's Word and stepping out and acting upon what God has just said to us, regardless of circumstances. I mean, it's like Jeremiah in this story, buying a family farm that is in enemy territory. It is believing God's word and stepping out and obeying it regardless of emotions. And I am sure there is a part of Jeremiah that really didn't feel like forking out 17 shekels of silver, which would be equivalent to about $10,000 in our day for a farm he would never see. It is obeying God's word and stepping out regardless of cultural trends. That is what others think. Because let me tell you, everybody thought Jeremiah was cuckoo <laughs> for doing what he did. Do you get that? This life of faith, it all starts with God's written revelation of what he tells us to do. So let me bring it down to where we live every day. Okay, What has God told you today from his word? Well, just a few days ago, this past week, I was reading my Bible in the morning like I always do. And I, I, I read the scriptures that tell me that, you know what? I am to be a witness for the Lord. My job is to be a light in a dark world, and I am to be salt in a corrupt society. Okay, I am to witness for Jesus. As a believer, that's my number one job every day to tell other people about God. Okay? And so after I read that scripture, I, I had my morning prayer and I said, Lord, uh, please bless this day. And here, here's all the things that are on my schedule to do, blah, 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 all these things, help me do them. But dear Lord, if you have something else for me, like some secret mission assignment, mystery assignment, I, I, I really would enjoy doing it. So whatever it is you want me to do today, help me to be available and to say yes to you. Guys, can I tell you something? When you pray that kind of prayer to the Lord, it is cool what happens next. You know? 
Things that you would never expect you get to enjoy in the presence of the Lord. So here I am. I'm driving down a street not too far from here. And uh, I don't know. I go through these different, I don't know what it is in my life. I don't know how to describe it to you. But I go through these different phases where I kind of like different things. And right now I'm on old Chevy trucks. I mean, anything from a 1960 to a 1969 Chevrolet truck, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm digging them. Ken, I told Ken about this, and now he's, I'm sorry, Debbie, now Ken's got the fever, and he's, he's, he's on it too, but you know, I, I just, I love old Chevy trucks, and here's the deal, church, can I tell you this, it's, it's just confession time, I like old things that go fast. Okay, I do. And I'm just, I'm really, I'm really into Chevy trucks. Do I have one now? No, not right now, but I sure am enjoying looking at them, you know? And so I'm driving down the road over here, not too far away, and I see one in somebody's driveway. And I, man, I'm, I'm not paying attention where I'm going. I'm looking at this thing, and I see a guy out in the yard. And so what do I do? I pull in. I hop out, and I meet this guy. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. But I say, man, that is a good-looking truck right there. And he, he lifts the hit, hood, and he shows me the engine, opens the door, let me look on the inside. Before long, I'm up underneath it, and I'm looking <laughs> underneath it. Man, he's telling me the story about this truck. And then he lets me go in his garage, and he has more of them. <laughs> I'm loving this man. He's my new best friend. He doesn't know anything about me. I don't know anything about him. But you know what? As we're talking... He starts telling me stuff about what's going on in his life. And I'm thinking, okay. And then I hear this voice in my head that says, Will, before you leave, you pray with this man. Now, how do I know if that's a God thing or just a will thing? Well, let me tell you, one way to know is if it's from God, it ain't going to go away. And as he continues to talk to me, I continue to hear this little voice. Before you leave, you pray with this man. Before you leave, you pray with him. Now, I don't know how he's going to respond to me if I say, hey, can I pray for you? He might sock me. I don't know. I mean, you know, he may not want me to pray for him. He, he may reject it. I, I don't know. All I know is the Holy Spirit of God is prompting me to pray with this man. You know what I had just done that morning? I had read the written word of God that told me what I needed to be doing that day. And I had prayed a prayer, Lord, I'll, I'll be available for whatever it is you want me to do. And here it is. I mean, the Lord's just laying it out. And so before I get in my truck and leave, I say, hey, buddy, it's good to meet you. Do you mind if I pray with you? <laughs> it was cool. It was a cool moment. First, his eyes got real big. <laughs> and he said, you know, that would be great. And so what did we do? Man, I just, I just led a little prayer and we prayed. Why? Because I was being obedient to the written word of God and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not a big thing. I don't know. Maybe it is a big thing. Are you with me? It was a big thing for Jeremiah. That's what he did. When Hanamel showed up at the prison and everything lined up, the way the Lord said it was going to be, Jeremiah knew, you know what, this is from the Lord. And so what did he do? He bought the family farm. And that leads us right in to the second lesson we learned from Jeremiah about living by faith. Number two, revelation leads to immediate obedience. 
the instant that Jeremiah knew that this was from the Lord, he obeyed. Verse number 9. So I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel. We take God at his word and we obey even when what he asks us to do may not make any sense to us as far as we can see. There's no greater demonstration of our faith than immediate obedience to what God says. You see, one of the most important things God is after in our life as a believer is to strengthen our faith. God wants you to grow in your faith. You see this all the way through the Bible, from Abraham to Moses to Job to David to here in Jeremiah and to each one of us. Someone wrote down, faith is the operating system for our lives as the people of God. And it is. That's how we operate. If our faith isn't strong, nothing else works. So our faith has to continuously, continuously be strengthened. And I think you're all in agreement, right? You understand that? To grow in our faith. Yet, amen, preacher. Yes, preach it, Brother Will. We need to have a strong, we need to grow in our faith. Well, you know how that happens, don't you? God puts us through stress. That's how it grows. Muscles, Brent, muscles, man. Ugh, come on. I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to ask your wife. Show it to me. Show it to me. Man. Woo! Let me tell you, that's the muscle in that family right there. Here's what I know about growing your muscles. Muscles only grow when they're put under stress. Okay? And guys, that's the way our faith grows. When God puts it under stress through times of testing and trial. We don't like this, but it's the way it is. James 1.3. You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1.7. These trials have come to us so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold which perishes even though it's refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So our faith grows when it's put to the test. You see, Jeremiah's been preaching to the people that they should not give up their hope and their exile, that God is going to bring them back to their homeland and reinstate them and give them their homes and their farms and the lands back. And it's as if the Lord is saying to Jeremiah, Now, Jeremiah, do you really believe what you've been preaching? Do you really believe what you've been instructing these people in? If so, then I want you to buy the family farm. I want you to buy the farm. I want you to put your money where your mouth is. So here's the lesson for us. We need to be sensitive to the Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit and obey Him when you sense Him telling you to do something. Are you with me? I didn't lose you there, did I? You're sensitive to God's Word and His Spirit and when He says, step out on faith, what do you do? You step out on faith. Even though you may not be able to see the whole picture or understand what's going on, you step out on faith. 
Guys, here's what I've learned. When we step out on faith and, and do it, God's going to take care of things. But you know what? Sometimes you really don't see how God is orchestrating all of it when you're in the moment. It may take a little time when you're able to look back and say, wow, that's cool. Let me give you an illustration from what happened in our own personal lives. Angie was just, and I were just talking about this about a week ago. Let me draw, draw the picture. Uh, my oldest daughter, Whitney, Mary Tyler, happily married. They were living in Little Rock in the 501. That's Little Rock's, uh, Little Rock, North Little Rock's Tyler's hometown. So they were living there. Tyler had a great job working for the state of Arkansas, doing what he was trained to do. Uh, enjoyed it. Whitney was working at Dillard's Corporation, doing what God made her to do, it seems like. And she was, she was the, the little favorite at Dillard's, Mr. BD two and three loved Whitney, and when she'd ride on the airplane with them, they, they loved her, and it was just great. They had a great life, owned an awesome house in Little Rock. Things were just going their way. Awesome life. But all of a sudden, about a year ago, God, God kind of got to stirring their hearts, and, and, and they decided, you know what, let's, let's, let's do something different. So Tyler put his application out, and, and uh, he really wanted, they really wanted to move to New York City. In fact, Tyler applied for a job in New York City. It was his dream job, something he'd always dreamed about and wanted to do. Whitney wanted to live in New York City. God, thank you, God, for God answering that <laughs> prayer. You know? But he went up there for an interview. They really liked him, but it wasn't the time for them to hire Tyler in his position. And so they said, you know, it, it may be a while. You're going to have to wait. And, and Tyler still had his application out. And he got a call from a, a company in Dallas, Texas named Guidestone. Tyler really didn't know anything about Guidestone other than it was an investment uh, company and, and really what it actually is, it used to be the annuity board for the Southern Baptist denomination. Okay? They would take the retirement money from Southern Baptist preachers and invest the money and the company grew so big they do a variety of things now and they changed the name from the Southern Baptist Annuity Board to Guidestone. They employ four or five hundred people and they hired my son-in-law Tyler to do something that no one else in the company does. I mean, so they hired him in at a, at a pretty high level. They, they gave him a huge raise in so much that Whitney didn't have to work anymore. And it was a good thing because Whitney became pregnant. She's going to have a, a little grandbaby for Lolo and Poe. And they moved to Dallas, have a great condo they're living in right now and until they've, they've established and are going to buy a house. Things are just going great for Whit and Tyler. We're so happy for them. And then a couple months ago, they were at our house, and, and Tyler was complaining that he couldn't hear out of his left ear. And, and finally, Angie said, would you just go to our doctor and get some medicine for that? You've probably got an ear infection. So he went to our doctor, gave him some medicine, went back to Dallas. It didn't get better. Went to another doctor, more medicine, still didn't get better. Finally went to a third doctor, and they sent him to a specialist. Long story short, Tyler had a tumor growing on the left side of his brain that was impairing his hearing. And the tumor in a very short amount of time had grown to the size of a ping pong ball. And they said, you're going to have to have surgery to take this thing out. They were very concerned, 
number one, that they would be able to remove all of the tumor, and then number two, that it would not cause permanent paralysis on the left side of his face. Come to find out as they researched it, there, there are really only two places that do this specialized surgery. One hospital was in Los Angeles. The other hospital was in Dallas, Texas, which just happened to be 1.5 miles from their house. The medical team, the two doctors that did the surgery, were on the cutting edge of this surgery. Great men who did a wonderful job. Guess what? After 12 hours of surgery, they got all of that tumor. Okay? And it gets, listen, it gets better. There was absolutely no paralysis on the left side of his face. The next day after surgery, he was walking. And a couple of days later, he went home. And today, they're at home, and they're supposed to be watching live feed. Hey, Whitney and Tyler. Love you guys. And besides all that, he's working for Guidestone, a Christian organization. When he was in surgery, two of the men from Guidestone came and sat through part of the surgery and prayed with the family. He wouldn't have got that in the 501. <laughs> and so Angie and I are driving home after this surgery, and, and we're just, you know, we're just recounting all of this stuff. And you know, we, we both came to the conclusion, you know what, we can look back and we can see God's hand all over this. It was God who directed them to Dallas. You know, you might get all caught up in the fact that he had a tumor on the side of his head. You know what? That's life. That's life. All of us are going to have problems. It may not be a ping pong sized tumor for you, but it could be some, it will be something else. That's life. But in the midst of life, it's cool to see God's hand directing them not only to Dallas but to the very place that they're living, to the company he's working at, that is at a hospital 1.5 miles away from where they live with the surgeons who were able to take care of him. Looking at God's hand, wow! I'm so thankful they stepped out in faith and did what God told them to do by taking that job and moving to Dallas. Isn't it awesome? I told this story to one of my preacher friends, and this is what he said. Y'all remember this guy, his name was Bob T. He used to be on staff here, Bob Thompson. He said, Will, he said, we don't talk much about it anymore, but you know what you just described to me? The sovereignty of God. I'm thankful for the sovereign God I serve, aren't you? Isn't that amazing? When God prompts us into action by his word and by his spirit, our faith must move promptly to obey. But there's something else we learn in this story of Jeremiah, point number three, and how you live by faith. Obedience is often followed by doubt. Now, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm really glad that this is included in this story. When we think of people like Jeremiah and the other great men and women of faith, we think that they, they never struggled with doubt. <laughs> well, I guess they did. At least our friend Jeremiah did. After he obeyed God and sealed the deed and gave it to Baruch to file... Jeremiah is all alone in the prison cell. Everybody's gone. The deal's been done. He sighs and he prays to God in verse 17. Do we have 17 up on the screen? Look at this verse. 
all sovereign Lord. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I mean, he is affirming his God, isn't he? God, you made everything. There is nothing too hard for you. Hallelujah. And then he goes on in his prayer. I'm not going to read the next few verses. You can go home and read them for yourself today. But what he does is recount God's outstretched hand that led the children of Israel out of Egyptian captivity and into the promised land. And our God can do anything. Nothing is impossible for him. And Jeremiah just keeps reaffirming that. But as you read it, you you really begin to see what's happening here. That in essence, Jeremiah is kind of pumping himself up. Really what he's doing is he's giving himself a pep talk. He says, Lord, I know that all of this is true. I know it's true. But God, did I get it right? Did I just do the right thing? Why do I say that? Well, look at verses 24 and 25. He said, see how the siege ramps are built up to take this city? Because the sword, famine, and plague, this city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened as you now see it. And though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians... You, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with the silver and then have it transcribed in writing. Jeremiah is having a little bit of what we call buyer's remorse. Is he not? He bought the farm, but did he do the right thing? Guys, here's real life. Sometimes we step out in faith. And yet we haven't seen the evidence that what we did was the right thing. And so what the devil puts doubts in our mind. I sense that Jeremiah is praying right here. Lord, I know that you told me to do this. Lord, I believe you told me to do this. Lord, I think you told me to do this. Lord, did you tell me to do this? Huh? Because here's the deal. Listen to me, church. If everything was clear from start to finish, there'd be no need for faith. If all the I's were dotted, all the T's were crossed, where would be the faith in that? Remember that faith is choosing to live in the assurance that God's word is true regardless of circumstance, regardless of emotions, regardless of what other people say. The gospel writers tell us about an incident where a man came to Jesus begging Jesus to deliver his son who was demon-possessed. The dad said, Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on my son and please have mercy on us and help us. And here's what Jesus said to this daddy in Mark 3, 23. Everything is possible to him who believes. So do you see what Jesus is saying to this man? He's saying, if you believe, it's possible But you've got to believe. And I am so happy verse 24 is found in our Bible. Because here's what this daddy said. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Oh Lord, I believe. Would you please just help my unbelief? 
That's where most of us live, right? That's where we stay. Lord, I believe, but sometimes my doubts overwhelm me, and I lose sight of your promise and the power of you performing amazing things in my life. So help me when my faith isn't as strong as it needs to be. Sometimes our obedience to God is followed by doubts. But then here's life lesson number four on a life of faith. Doubts are always overcome by God's reassurance. After he obeyed and prayed, God move to reassure Jeremiah. Once again, he did this by his word. Look at verses 26 and 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord the God of all mankind, is anything too hard for me? Okay, so that's the question God is asking Jeremiah after Jeremiah's doubt. Is there anything too hard for me? Well, guess what? Jeremiah knew the answer to that question. He had just affirmed it in verse 17 when he said, Lord, there is nothing too hard for you. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Years ago, I heard someone wisely say, don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. We're going to throw that on the screen. I want you to write that down. Please write it down. Don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Because there will be dark days. There there will be doubt in those dark days. The devil is going to get you and try to sift you and try to prove to you that you did the what God already has shown you in the light. Live in the light. Verse 42, the Lord reassured Jeremiah, you can't imagine the future that I have in store for my people. But Jeremiah, by your faith, you've invested in my future for my people. Reminds me of what is found in Psalm 22, verse 5. They cried to you and they were saved. In you they trusted and they were not disappointed. You can't be disappointed when you trust in the Lord. One of my favorite gospel stories is that that story about uh, the disciples being in a boat one night and they're out on the Sea of Galilee and then, then all of a sudden a storm blew up and the waves became huge and they were in a panic just to keep their boat topside up. And they, they looked out across the water and they saw something walking on top of the water as a figure coming towards them. And as they looked more closely, it, it was Jesus that they saw. And Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, be not afraid. And so Peter takes God at his word and he shouts back, if that's you, Lord, command me to be able to walk on the water with you. Oh man, that's pretty good, isn't it? Oh Peter, oh Peter, oh Peter, you know what? Peter knew that in a storm, the safest place to be was next to Jesus. (laughs) The the other 11 were still in the boat. Peter got out and he started walking on the water towards Jesus. And and he's amazed. Man, this is awesome. I'm I'm walking on the water. Have any of y'all ever walked on water? I told the first service, we had had a guy in the first service who I, I know walked on water, at least skied on water on his feet. 
Billy Carter, barefoot, he can barefoot ski. I've tried that before, Jason. It, every time I tried it, yeah. I, I, would, I was sliding on the water face first. It, it's a, it is a lot harder than it looks, let me tell you. But here's Peter. He's walking on the water, and then all of a sudden he looks around him. Huge waves, mountainous waves. The spray is in his face, and he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he begins to sink. But Jesus reaches over and pulls him out of the water, and he says, Peter, I've got this. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Jesus helped Peter back into the boat, and everybody worshiped Jesus. Here's the point I want to leave with you. Friend, God is not going to call you out of the boat to walk on the water and then let you sink. He's not going to do it. When you step out on faith and do what he tells you to do, God is going to come through. God is going to do his part. You might not be able to see it right then and there. It may take a little bit of time for you to look back and say, Wow, that was the hand of God. So hang on. Hang on. And look at me. It's time to step out of the boat. It's time to buy the farm. Now, for someone in this room, that may mean that for the very first time, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I mean, that's all it is. It's a faith step to believe Jesus, to believe he's the only way to be saved, to confess your sins to Jesus, to confess Jesus, Lord and Savior of your life. That's where faith begins. And if you haven't done that, I, I challenge you to do that today. Give your heart to Jesus. Be saved. Be born again. Have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Yesterday we had the funeral of, of a dear friend, a good church member, Jim Fisk. Let me tell you, that funeral service turned into a worship service. And the reason it turned into a worship service is because Jim was saved. He had invited Jesus into his heart. His name was written in the Lamb's book of life. And when Jim Fisk took his last breath on planet earth, he breathed his first breath in heaven. And it all happened through faith. The most important thing for you today is to be saved. Take that step of faith. If you've already taken that step, you, you know that, that that was just the first step. Walking with Jesus is always a step of faith. Every day, he's going to have you do something that's going to take faith in your life. And so it is a constant step of faith. So here's the next part of my invitation. If you're here today and you're a Christian, what is it right now that God is wanting you to step out in faith and do? What is he impressing upon your heart? What is he telling you in your mind? That he wants you to do. It's going to take a step of faith. But for some reason, you're holding tight to your seat in the boat. For some reason, you're hanging on to those 17 shekels of silver. Unwilling to buy the family farm. And yet God is asking you to do it. So today, look at me. Today, take the step. By the farm.